Well, I would invite you to turn in God's Word to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, and if you're using one of the Bibles there in the seats in front of you, it's going to be page either 847 or 901, John chapter 14, and we're going to look for a few moments at verses 12 through 14, verses 12 through 14. And this, of course, falls in the context of Jesus's mission discourse as he is uh, just literally hours away from going to the cross and all that is encompassed in the cross followed by his resurrection. And this is the most extended um, discourse, the most extended account we have of all that Jesus shared with his disciple, disciples in those final hours. And so hear these words, verses 12 to 14 in John 14. He says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Amen. This is God's word. Well, uh, as you know, over this last few years, and especially this last year, especially these last few months, I've been completing my doctoral work in the mission discourse, and one of the truths that has just gripped me afresh is the centrality, the priority, the necessity of prayer. Uh, this is the first place in the discourse that Jesus talks to his disciples specifically about prayer. He certainly spoke about prayer many other times during his ministry with them. Uh, but at this time in this discourse, this is the first time that he mentions prayer. It won't be the last time. He'll say more about it in chapter 15 and more in chapter 16. And then, of course, in chapter 17, uh, he goes to the Father in prayer. Chapter 17 is, is the content of his prayer to the Father before he goes to the cross. Uh, but it just drives home the centrality and the necessity of prayer. And so I want to just focus our thoughts here for a few moments as we uh, anticipate spending some extended time in prayer together as well. And to notice that Jesus says in verse 12, this is a promise, a staggering promise really to his disciples, when he says to them, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And you think greater works than Jesus? What could be greater than raising the dead? What could be greater than casting out demons? What could be greater than healing people and walking on water and feeding multitudes? Uh, think about all of the miracles that are recorded, and we know that, that they don't even begin to touch on the scope of the miracles, the number of miracles that Jesus did. Uh, what could be greater than that? Well, the emphasis on greater speaks, or it's connected with what Jesus says when he says, you will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. And that's really the key to understanding, I think, what he means by greater. The sense of it is greater both in content as well as in extent. 
And by content, I mean that with Jesus indicating that he's going to the Father, having completed, as he is soon to do, completing redemption through his death on the cross and then going to the Father, what is it that he promises will happen soon after he goes to the Father in the lives of the disciples? They'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Both Jesus and the Father will send the Holy Spirit. And the greater works that he is speaking of then are those works that ultimately the Father and the Son, through the Spirit, will be doing through the disciples when Jesus returns to heaven. And so it's greater in content because through the power of the Spirit, the disciples and ultimately the entire church as it's continued to grow and develop will be proclaiming the gospel the content of the gospel surrounding the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, his life and his death and his resurrection. So in that sense, the the content is maybe fuller, greater, uh, because he will have accomplished redemption. And in going to the Father and the Holy Spirit being sent to indwell God's people um, will be the means by which the gospel will be proclaimed. In fact, over in chapter 15, Uh, Throughout this discourse, Jesus says a lot about the coming ministry of the Holy Spirit. But in chapter 15, verses 16 and 17, or I'm sorry, verses 26 and 27, at the very end of chapter 15, he says, but when the helper comes, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, uh, the helper, when he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And so this witness bearing that the Spirit will empower in the early church has to do with the content of the greater works that Jesus is speaking of back in chapter 14, verse 12. Greater in content. And I think we can also understand it in terms of greater in extent, even geographical extent. Uh, Throughout the course of his entire ministry, Jesus never uh, traveled beyond probably around 100 miles radius of, 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 of the scope of where he traveled. But following his resurrection, following his ascension to the Father, the coming of the Holy Spirit, as we know, and this is what we see unfolding in the book of Acts, Uh, He ordained for the early church, the apostles, to be spreading the gospel first in Jerusalem and then to the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And of course, we're recipients of that, even as we also, who are believers, share in continuing that spreading of the gospel. And so the, the greater works that Jesus is speaking of are greater in content because they follow the resurrection of Christ and the sending of the Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel now that Jesus has returned to heaven with the Father and greater in extent, geographical extent, in the spreading of the gospel also uh, not only to the Jews but to the Gentiles as well, to all the nations. And that commenced after the Holy Spirit was sent. Now, the emphasis that I want us to see then in verses 12 to 14 is the relationship of prayer with these greater works. Because at the very same time that Jesus says, the one who believes in me will do the works that I do, greater works will he do because I'm going to the Father, he then speaks of prayer. Verse 13 and 14, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
And there's a direct relationship between the greater works that those who follow him will be doing. And again, it's ultimately the work of the Father and the Son through the Spirit in his people. But it's deeply and intimately connected with prayer, with prayer. The greater works, in other words, are the fruit of prayer. And this is woven throughout the discourse. Other places that Jesus speaks about prayer, it echoes these same truths. And we see this, and we're going to look at an example of this in a few moments. Um, but this is what he is emphasizing. And with this promise about prayer in verses 13 and 14, I want you to notice it is both unlimited and limited. It has both of these realities with this promise that he makes. The unlimited nature of what Jesus promises is, is found uh, even at the very beginning of verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He says again in verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so there's a sense in which it's an unlimited invitation to pray. Whatever you would ask, in anything that you would ask. I mean, those are terms of, of unlimited scope with anything, everything, whatever you would ask. But of course, the, the focus is also limited, and it's limited by that little phrase that Jesus uses in verse 13, again in verse 14, in my name. If you ask anything in my name, and he echoes it again in verse 14, anything in my name. Uh, we know and we understand, even though we, we often use this phrase, it's not a magical incantation. It's not a uh, simple little phrase to use that becomes an instant push button that God's got to answer it because we said, in Jesus' name. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about asking in a manner that's consistent with who he is, with his mission, with his purposes, which flow from the Father as well. And so the praying then can have confidence, it's unlimited, that we can ask anything and whatever we would ask, but we need to be oriented toward his name, toward knowing him, trusting him, um, walking with him, seeking his will to be done and his purposes to be fulfilled and his mission to be accomplished. And this again is echoed by Jesus in other places as well. So the praying that we are to be doing is both limited and unlimited. It's limited as it is to be in Jesus' name, unlimited that we are to ask anything and everything that falls into that. Now, I mentioned Jesus speaks about these things in other places in the discourse as well. If you go over to chapter 15 again, another place where we see this, where he's speaking in the imagery of a vine and branches and the need of the branches to be abiding in, to be remaining in, to be living and dwelling in the vine, uh, which he's using that as, as a metaphor to speak of our faith in God and of his indwelling presence in us. That's the imagery that he uses in the early part of chapter 15. And then in verses 7 and 8, look at what he says. And as soon as I can see it on my page with my small verse numbers in this Bible that I'm using, uh, in verses 7 and 8, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
There's the unlimited and limited focus of prayer again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's in essence another way of saying if you're praying in my name, in in trusting me and in seeking to walk in alignment with my purposes and and with my word, then the promise at the end of verse 7, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He goes on to say in verse 8, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And his promise there of bearing much fruit for the Father's glory is directly connected with. It's another aspect of the greater works that those who belong to him are to be doing as he works in us and through us. And again, this is just completely connected with prayer in the doing of these works, in the bearing of this much fruit. And notice the emphasis that it all brings glory to the Father because he's the one who receives the glory. And so uh, we see the vital importance of prayer. Now, there's many places we could look in Scripture to illustrate this, even with the prayer that Tim read earlier from Psalm 138. That's one of 150 psalms that are examples of prayer, examples of seeking the Lord and looking to Him. In the New Testament, I want to point us to Acts chapter 4. If you'd look there uh, briefly in Acts chapter 4, The book of Acts, of course, is the history of the birth and the growth of the church following the ascension of Jesus to heaven and the sending of the Holy Spirit as he is given on the day of Pentecost, as it's recorded in Acts chapter 2, all that Jesus intended for the disciples to do, they begin to do in praying and in preaching and in loving one another and in seeing people come to faith and then built up and established as God's people. Well, in Acts chapter 4, the early apostles are experiencing persecution, and they're experiencing hostility. Peter and John had been arrested by the religious leaders. Uh, They had been interrogated. They had been threatened, and then they had been released. And I want to pick it up in verse 23, because upon their release, look at what they do. They, They gather with the other saints, and they go to prayer. So verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, here's their prayer, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And they're referencing Psalm 2 there. And so notice even how their prayer is informed by God's word. And it's also informed now by the indwelling spirit within them has brought them to understand uh, the significance of Christ in light of these truths. So they go on to say in their prayer in verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
And now, Lord, here's the substance of their petition. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In dramatic fashion, God answered their prayer. And in the founding of the early church, before the word of God was fully completed in the New Testament, the apostles were given the, uh, the blessing and the privilege of doing signs and miracles. And that's why they're praying for that in the, this foundational phase of the church. But they're trusting God to provide what they need by way of boldness and by way of courage to continue to speak the word of God, even in the midst of hostility and threats and danger to all of them. And so they're doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do. They're seeking to be faithful in the mission and the works that he's called them to do. They're praying to God for uh, for his help and for his provision, and they're pressing ahead to do what God has called them to do. And for you and I today, for you and I this evening, it's the exact same reality. We live in the exact same fallen world. Times have changed, of course, but the fallenness of mankind, the need for the gospel to continue to go forward, our need of God's provision and grace, which he wants us to know and to realize and to experience through prayer, it continues as it did for the early church. And so when we are gathering and when we're seeking the Lord together in prayer, it is no small thing. It is no insignificant thing. It's the means that God has ordained for us to faithfully pursue and fulfill the works that he's called us to. And so that's why we pray. And so just as we gear up for that time, and Tim is going to come and lead us in just a few moments, just even be thinking about what is it that you need? What is it that you need in your life right now uh, knowing that God is the one who ultimately knows our needs, and yet he wants us to seek him. He wants us to pray for whatever and anything we need in a desire to walk with him. Uh, every single one of us in ourselves, we are weak, we are frail, we are poor, we are needy, and he wants us to pour our hearts before him and seek him. We need righteousness. We need love for him. We need love for others. We need all kinds of physical needs. We need patience. We need wisdom. We need strength. We need courage. We need zeal. We need compassion. We, we could just keep going on and on and on and on. Uh, but particularly, even in your own life, just be thinking, what is it that I need? And Father, how could you help me even now that I might be faithful to what it is you've called me to do? So just some reminders and encouragements for us that as we pray, um, it is not insignificant. We're right in line with what God has prescribed and given for us to do, uh, that he might work in us and through us, ultimately for his glory and for our blessing and for the blessing of others as well. So let me pray, and then Tim is going to come to lead our extended time here as well. Father God, we thank you that you are sovereign, and we acknowledge this matter of prayer is mysterious. Uh, we have no idea how it is that you are sovereign, that you rule, and that you reign, and that you uh, predestine everything, and that you uh, 
um, you do everything after the counsel of your will, and yet you have ordained that we who are your people should pray, and not just once or twice here or there, but it should be the continual disposition of our heart, an inclination of, of seeking you, of looking to you, of, of bringing needs and burdens and cares, as well as praises and thanksgivings uh, to you regularly. And so, Father, we rejoice that it is so, and that even as we gather as a, as a small little group of folks in a, in a church here in Sacramento, uh, Lord, that you grant us to have your ear uh, because of all that you have given in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that our confidence before you is in him and through him. And so we thank you for the time and for the opportunity. We pray that you would direct us even as we pray and that you would be glorified in all of this, even as you would work in our lives and in the lives of others as well. So we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. And Tim's going to come to lead.